Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. The Spirit of God was uh, hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And that he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening. And there was morning. The first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear, and it was so. God called the, day, the dry ground land, and gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, the trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night. And let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the, first, the fourth day. And God said, Let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea, and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed him and said, Be fruitful and increase in number, and fill the water in the seas, and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God said, God saw that it was good. We agree this morning too to have the, the song so tied in with the theme, thinking about God's creation and the greatness of our God. I want to start though with a confession this morning. There's a group of people that I'm really envious of. And these are people who can envisage something in their head and can create it with their hands. So, for example, my wife Bridget paints, and she can take a real-life scene or a photo, and she can think how that would look on canvas. And then she can paint it, either life-realistic or a more abstract form, but still a great gift. Other people can do similar things with pottery, or with baking, 
or with taking old, broken, worn-out things and renovating them and making them working and beautiful again. They should make television programs about these kind of things. Um, But why I'm envious of people like that is that there must be a real sense of satisfaction when you have done something and you look at it and you can say, that's good. I did what I intended to, and it's worked out really well. And I know people who who are artistic, they do get that real satisfaction from being able to do something, to envisage it, to make it, and then to step back and say, yes, that's good. Maybe we go a bit further. If you've got a painting, I'm thinking about a particular painting here, but let's say you've got a painting, and maybe there's uh, light shining through the tree, and say, that's very atmospheric, that's good. And then you look again and say, that woman's face is very expressive. They've really caught what she's thinking. That's good. Or maybe there's a horse galloping in it. And you say, that really brought about the grace and the power of the horse. That's good. And then you take a step back and you look at the picture as a whole and you say, everything works together really well. That's very good. Now, you don't need to think about a picture to think of that. Just think of your own church here. All that's been done to it. So we can see there's so much more space now to do things in. That's good. It's nice and light and airy and warm and welcoming. That's good. Having chairs gives us so much more flexibility in this hall. That's good. And we look at everything and say, yes, it's come about the way that we envisage it. That's very good. I'm sure many of you would feel that this morning. And when we can have these kind of feelings about something that we've done or something that someone else has done, we can start to begin to think about how God felt about creation. As you go through the days of creation again and again, it says God saw what he had made and it was good. And then you get right to the end, and it's not saying God saw and it was good. It says God saw the whole creation, and it was very good. Each of the individual components was wonderful in itself, but taking the whole thing together was very good. If you remember nothing else from what I say this morning, let's remember this, that God's creation is very good. Our great God has made our world and our universe, and he's made it perfectly, been marred by sin, but he made it perfectly. It is very good, and it shows to us the glory, the the majesty, and the artistry of our God. It is very good. Now, as I'm sure you're aware, there are many different views about this chapter in Genesis, different thoughts about how God created. So some people would say, well, it was over six days, six 24-hour periods. God, the great God, was able to make the whole world, the whole universe in a single week. Other people might say, well, what happened, or what we think happened, was that God was the architect of the universe, He created it, modern science would say, with the Big Bang. But he knew everything that was going to happen. He had planned, he had designed it, and it came about exactly as he intended. Now, there are other views in between these two as well. 
I don't think it's my place this morning to go into detail uh, about the different views uh, and which might be right, which might be wrong. Some of you may have strong views on it, but I think we're going to lose a lot of the message of, of Genesis 1 if we go into detail. What I really want to get across this morning and what I want us to think about is the great creation that God made. What did God do as he created our world. Now, Genesis 1 isn't designed to be a scientific explanation of that. It could have started at the, the atomic level and say God made atoms and molecules and built all of life up from that. Or it could have start, started at the global level and say God made this enormous universe with its stars that are hundreds and millions of light years away from us, uh, mind-bogglingly huge, that was created by God, and within that, God created our world. Both of these would be true. Um, but actually, what we get in Genesis 1 is almost the view from Earth of God's creation. It is how did God make a universe and a world particularly that is really suitable and appropriate for us humans to live in. And that is timeless. If we had either of the other approaches, then every generation science finds out new things and it would change a little bit. What we have in Genesis 1 is something that is uh, relevant to us as it was relevant to those whom Moses wrote to in the first instance. Now, the way we want to approach this this morning, there's a fair amount to get through, we'll do it fairly quickly. The way we want to approach this is to look at what God did. There are lots of verbs in this passage. So just to give you an idea of where we're going, I've given it the overall title, A God-Ordered World. Now, there's a kind of double meaning in that. It's a world that was ordered by God, by his command, and there was also an order that was put there. It's a world that is orderly, if you like, because of God. And three pairs of things I want to look at. First is that God formed and God filled the earth. We'll see that in a minute. And we'll see in that the parallel between the first three days of creation and then days four to six. There are clear parallels between the two. We can then look at how God called and God created. God called the different elements of creation by name, and God created some things we read about in this passage as well. And we'll see there the difference, I think, between the first three days and the second three days in what God did. And then finally, we're going to look at what God said and what God saw. And that will cover the whole of the six days in which God created the world, and will bring us an understanding both of the power that God had and of how good everything was that he made. So if you're to get through, as I said, we'll do it fairly quickly and try not to get too bogged down. So first of all, God formed and God filled. I wonder if you notice in verse 2 of the passage that it said, the earth was formless and empty. So God has created the universe, but there's no real shape, no real form to it yet. And the verses we're looking at today is not so much God creating everything from nothing. Alistair quite rightly last week focused on that as part of his message, that God did create everything from nothing. 
But that actually isn't the focus of these verses in Genesis 1. The focus of them is how God formed the world and how he filled it. So let's think a little bit about that. So on the first and fourth day of creation, God was concerned with what called the heavens, what's up above us. So first he creates light and then he divides day and night. Someone I read writing on Genesis 1 said that a lot of what is covered here is more about function than about things that God created. And I think in day one particularly, what God created was not just light, but the concept of time. God exists outside time and space, but the rhythm of days and nights, and then from the fourth day, the rhythm of the seasons, that gives us time as we understand it. So God formed the heavens in day one, and then God filled them on day four with sun, moon, and stars. Interestingly, it talks about greater light and lesser light. Um, I think possibly the reason for that, rather than naming them, is because a lot of the civilizations around uh, at the time of Moses would have worshipped the sun or, or the moon. Uh, and the writer in Genesis, Moses, doesn't want uh, to encourage people to do that. They are lights that are created by God with a particular purpose. So day one and day four, it is about the light, it is about times and seasons, and it's about creating the things that give us light and that regulate the times of our lives. Day two and five then are about the waters below and the sky above. As God forms on day two, then he separates what's below and what's above. And perhaps part of the thinking behind that, as the the writer does it, is to do with what's above, what's the water above, what's their function for us? Well, it's the weather, isn't it? It's rain and snow and whatever falls from up above. And so as God separates the water below from the water above, then he introduces the concept of weather. There wasn't rain to begin with. You remember in Genesis, there was later. And that is another thing which... As we see it, it regulates the way we live our lives and it is relevant to us day by day. And then as God has created the water and the sky above, what does he do on day four, day five rather? He fills it. He fills it with the birds and the fish. Living creatures that living in different kind of areas from us living in the sky or living in the sea. And I said fish, it also as other sea creatures as well. Of course. But again, as on day one, we have it first formed, and then day two, day one, the sky is formed, day two, the, the, the water and sea are formed and separated, and then God fills them on day four and day five. And then the last days, day three and day six, because remember, God rested on day seven, day three and day six, God separates the land from the sea. And also as part of day three, it talks about the agriculture, it talks about vegetation growing, and God filling the earth with things that we need to live on, with things we can eat. And then in day six, as he has, he has formed the land, he fills it with animals, and you look at next week, I think, at mankind, at humans. God forms and God fills. 
Again, if we look back and think about my illustration at the beginning of the artist, if Bridget is doing a painting, what she might do first of all is to sketch out the, the shape of it, uh, the, the, the big features of it, just draw them out in pencil, and then use the paint to fill it in, forming and filling. And what God did was he formed the earth, he made the structure in the first three days of creation, and then days four to six, he filled it with living things, and also with the things that are in the sky. So God formed and God filled. The second thing I want to think about is that God called and God created. So as on days one to three, God formed the different areas of the earth, of the world that are surrounded about us, God also gave names to different things. So he calls day and night by name. He calls the sky above us what we know it as. And he gives names to land and sea as well. Not at this stage saying he's created them, but he's formed them and he's named them. And what's the significance of that? If you name something, that gives you some authority over it. You remember later in the creation story that man, Adam, was given the, the task of naming all the animals as God brought them to him and was given authority over them. And I think that God naming the different parts of his creation is just saying that God has authority over every element. Whether it's in the sky above, whether it's in the sea, whether it's in the land around us, whether it's the weather, the times and seasons, all of them are under God's authority because he is the one who originated them. He is the great creator. And as he calls them, that gives us the, the idea of God having authority over them. And then the second three days of creation, God created. Now, there are two words that are used in this bit of the passage. One is translated created, the other is translated made. I wouldn't be drawing any clear distinction between them, I don't think. Indeed, when it comes to the humans, it says both that God created them and that God made them. They were formed from the dust of the earth. But the point here is, as God fills his creation with everything that we see around us, we see his creative power, we see his ability to make things and to make them good. Whether it's the, the stars and the sun, whether it's the creatures in the sea and the birds, or whether it's animals and humans, everything was created by God, and therefore everything is under God's authority. God has the power as the creator to do what he wishes with his creation. It's his. He made it. He formed us. We are his people. He has the total authority over our lives and how we should live and what he wishes to do with us. God called and God created. And then thirdly, we want to look at God said and God saw. Now, I guess when we read through Genesis 1, these are the things that probably strike us the most. That God said something and it happened and God saw something and made a judgment on it. And what I would suggest is that well, when we look at what God said, 
it tells us about the power of God's word. That God could just speak and things happened. God could say, let there be light, and there instantly was light. And this is a theme that we read about again and again as we go through the Bible. God's word of power. So in Psalm 33, for example, it says, By the word of God the heavens were made, for he spoke, and it was. God spoke, and what he said came about. Or Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is the great chapter looking at people of faith from the Old Testament. But right at the start it says this, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things that are seen were not made of things that are visible. The worlds were framed, formed, by the word of God. And then as we look again at the New Testament and we reflect on the word of God, what do we think about? Of course, we think about the Lord Jesus. The word who was with God in the beginning, the word through whom all things were created. God spoke. He spoke in creation. He spoke and also in his son. And the Lord Jesus is the, the pinnacle of God's creation as he is God who came and who lived as a man among us. God with us in our world. And what a wonderful demonstration of God's glory and God's power our world is. Beyond our imagination, how someone could create something that is so majestic, so wonderful, and yet also so intricate. And everything that we can think about, about authority in human terms, and about the power of our words, is absolutely dwarfed as we think about God's word, how God spoke, and it happened. And that should give us confidence in our day-to-day life as well that we have a wonderful God who can do everything. And if we have needs in our lives and perhaps we're struggling to think, well, how are we going to meet these needs? What are we going to do? It is good to reflect on the fact that we have a God who can do anything. Nothing is too difficult for our God. And as we take our problems and our difficulties to him, we can look at him to work in power and to do wonderful things. God said, God spoke, and the world came into being. God's word is truly powerful. But then the other thing, and this is where we started this morning, again and again in this passage it says, God saw. God saw what he had made, and it was good. And that tells us, I think, that we don't just have a God who's indifferent who just flung the world out and said, there it is, take it or leave it, that's how it is. Rather, we've got a God who has real judgment and discernment. And had that in creation, as he made things, and as he assessed them, and as he saw that what he had made was good. But also in our daily lives, and in our actions, and in the way our world is, in this day, we also have a God who is wise in judging that. There's not just a physical side of things where God makes 
judgment. Rather, his judgment extends to his moral standards, to his holiness, and to his relationship with us. We know we can never fully meet God's standards as much as we know that we can never have the power of God. But we know someone who did meet these standards. We know that the Lord Jesus, as he came into the world, he perfectly met God's standards so God could say of the Lord Jesus that he was pleased with him. Paraphrasing that, he could say the life of the Lord Jesus was very good as his creation was. None of us can see God. We can see round about us his glory. We can see what he has done for us. But we can look at Jesus and we can see God who came into our space and who lived among us and who demonstrates to us both God's power and God's moral authority and what it is to please God. And I want to end on that and to move to the New Testament and just to look briefly at some verses from Colossians. Paul writes in Colossians, this is a great passage, read it in totality if you can when you get home, focusing on the greatness of the Lord Jesus. But Paul says, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now I was particularly struck reading that passage about the words that I've highlighted in red on the screen. All things have been created through him and for him. Now, created through him is, is very much where we were in John 1 earlier on, that without him nothing was made that has been made. But what does it mean that God's creation was for Jesus? Well, if you go back again to the thought of a painting, someone might paint a picture for their own satisfaction, that they just want to be able to demonstrate or to themselves and to amuse uh, the gift that God has created them with, and have no particular purpose beyond that. It gives them satisfaction to be able to do the painting and to enjoy it. And in a sense, creation was made for God's pleasure. That God could create the world and look on it and say, that's good, I get satisfaction from it. Or you might make a painting and, and you're thinking when you do it, particularly if you're a kind of famous artist, you think as you're doing, well, this is for everybody. I want this to be up in art galleries and I want it to be on postcards and I want everyone who's interested to be able to see it and enjoy it. And that is also true of God's creation. God created our world so good so that we could enjoy it, so that we could have fulfillment in it, and because of that, so that we would glorify God and come into a relationship with him. But you might paint a painting for someone particular. You might have someone you really love and say, I want to paint something for them because I know it will be good for them. I know that they will enjoy it. It will give them satisfaction. And is that what it means here when it says creation was for Jesus? 
The commentators tend to say that Jesus is not just the source of creation, he's also the goal of creation. And Jesus is the one who God has placed in authority over everything in heaven and on earth. God the, author- God the Father, pleased with his Son and with his sacrifice for sins on the cross at Calvary, has placed everything under his feet. And in that sense, creation is for Jesus. The goal of creation is to bring glory to Jesus and through him to bring glory to God the Father because Jesus' desire was that God should be glorified. And as we look at Jesus, as we see God with us, as we see his life, as we see his death taking our place on the cross, taking our sins on himself, then our goal should be to, first of all, trust him, trust him as saviour and choose to live for him and then to bring glory to him, the one for whom the world was made. That our lives may be lived in total commitment and dedication to the Lord Jesus. That people should be able to look at us and see something of him and see the difference that he makes. We have a duty in this world to care for God's creation. But we have a higher duty if we know the Lord Jesus. And that is to bring glory to him through the way we live our lives and through the way in which we testify about him to others. Let's this week enjoy the glory, the beauty of God's creation. Let's reflect on the fact that it is very good. Next Sunday, you'll be thinking about the creation of man and the wonder of that as well. But as we think of this very good creation, let's also think of the creator and think of our saviour and seek to live for them and to serve them. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the glory of your creation. We thank you that the heavens declare your glory. As we look around us at the beautiful things that you have made, that that declares your glory. We thank you to the extent, for the extent to which we can be those who declare your glory as we reflect the, the, the life and the obedience of the Lord Jesus. I pray that you help us never to take for granted all that you have done, never to lose the marvel of your majesty, of your power, and of the, the artistry, the care, the order that is in creation. And help us too, as your creation, as those who are under your authority, as those who give allegiance to the Lord Jesus. Help us to be obedient to him and to reflect his glory in the way we live our lives, that those around us may come to know him and to glorify him. We thank you for your presence this morning, for the opportunity to worship together, and we commit ourselves to you now in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.